right, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the Crypto 101 podcast. Pizza Mind here, rolling solo today. So no crazy wild banter. We're just going to jump right into it because I want to give every second of our time today to an amazing project that is well worth our attention. And I'm joined by partner at Cello. Please welcome Dr. Marcus Frankie. Welcome to the Crypto 101 podcast, my friend. Thank you very much. Amazing to be here. I'm very excited um, to chat with you today. Um, and yeah, thanks for, for inviting me. Now, are you the kind of doctor that normally gets called for me to check on my heart when the market conditions are flying all over the place? I've been a lot of pizza, I've got a lot of blockage and stuff. Or do you have a doctor <laughs> in like a different kind of... Uh, I, I wish I wish I could do something real and 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 help people with their medical conditions. But actually, I'm an economist, so I did my PhD in economics um, and and did research in economics here in Germany. Also in economics, it's it's basically then a, a doctor title instead of the mm. PhD behind the name. Um, but it's not a medical doctor, it's in economics. And this is also what, what I've learned. I spent basically all my education in economics and then afterwards also all my career in, in, in the broader field, I would guess. Well, maybe you can help shape our perspective uh, that will lower my stress and by proxy help my heart out. So I think you're still doing a lot of good in the world. I'm glad you're here today. Uh, you've got also a, an amazing background in finance. You've worked for the big boys. JP Morgan, Merrill Lynch, blah, 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 uh, managing portfolios, doing investments, risk strategies. So you're the guy we really need to talk to right now. We're recording this uh, late January. The markets just kicked us in both balls. We're all really <laughs> sore. Um, before we get started about Cello, let's talk a little bit about risk management and portfolio construction and a Wild West industry that still has a lot of actions in it that are completely illegal in the traditional markets. These actions create much more volatility in crypto, but that's what makes crypto so much fun, allows us to make life-changing gains as well. But how do we protect ourselves against the downside in something like this? Do you have any words of wisdom you can share with us? That's a great question. And probably, especially in this market, a, a even more difficult question because hedging, for example, in crypto is, is harder than in, in many other uh, traditional asset classes. Um, as you said, I, I spent almost all my career before going into crypto four or five years ago um, in traditional asset classes, looking at equities, at bonds, at real estate, at uh, commodities, and and all these other equity, uh, all these other asset classes out there, and and constructing portfolios. And in every asset class, you had like possibilities to hatch to to build an overlay portfolio that um, could uh, bring the risk of the overall portfolio down. In this asset class, it's it's not so easy. Um, I think, um, of course, in this uh, wild field of crypto, stablecoins are always a good way to take 
uh, a bit of the risk away in, in very volatile times. But in, in general, all these concepts that, that uh, hold true in traditional asset classes also work in crypto. There are correlations. Um, you can see this um, when, when Bitcoin goes down, the rest of the market also goes down. So there are probably uh, very uh, extreme correlations among these asset classes. Um, and therefore, you could look out and, and see if there's a cheap way to hedge, maybe to short um, certain assets where you find these instruments in the field of crypto and, and hedge a bit of the risk you have in the portfolio. And I mean, a very general uh, a uh, very general thought here is, of course, when you are in the field of crypto and blockchain, you should try to only invest in, in things you, you also understand and where you can see um, what it does and if there's, for example, real economic value behind. Yeah, great, great advice. Um, definitely echo that. Being a fundamental value investor myself has really um, helped me sleep well at night thinking long term rather than just trying to scalp short-term gains. It's usually where I go wrong when I try to do that. Um, but you mentioned about correlations in markets. Let's take a little bit step further into that because there was someone in our community who made a really thought-provoking post the other day. And she said around 4 a.m. today, there was a coordinated attack launched against, launched against many cryptocurrencies as they all tanked at the same time. And I looked at that and what she's talking about is Bitcoin crashed and took everything else along with it. And my re response is, well, you're not, you're kind of right. Uh, it was a coordinated attack, but it was against Bitcoin, which by proxy took out everything else. Or you could say it's a coordinated attack at the stock market, which then by proxy took down Bitcoin, which by proxy took down everything else. Why do these assets seemingly unrelated they do different things. Why do they move almost in lockstep these days? Do you have any theories behind that? It's probably, or it has probably been a coordinated attack against all risky assets. Um, and these coordinated attacks against all risky assets always happen when, for example, Example: Central banks talk about interest rates and their view of interest rates in future. If they should increase or decrease, which um, depends of, for example, the inflation um, that different countries have, that always uh, affects um, all risky asset classes out there. And here we can see that the behavior of crypto assets changed over the last years. Um, I think in the beginning of crypto, when we saw these hype cycles, especially people who wanted to try out the technology, who want to trade in this technology, entered the market, um, but sometimes completely unrelated to the traditional asset cycle. Now what we have is more and more institutional investors in these assets that basically affect all their risky or that, that manage all different types of risky assets from stocks to bonds to, to crypto. And, and therefore, now we see that, for example, crypto and equity probably, probably is a bit, uh, bit higher correlated than, than we've seen before. But the other thing is, it's really nice to see that, first of all, when, when these extreme market events happen and, for example, Bitcoin goes down, it doesn't go to, to zero or something, what like the dooms, uh, doomsayers basically predict. 
it keeps value because because this technology has a lot of value and the other thing what we see what we see is that not only institutional investors enter the market but also traditional companies that actually want to use this technology for for new use cases for giving access to this technology um, to to end users actually not only traders but real end users and i think this is exciting and this time probably this is also different that we see first real end users in um, crypto that we see first um, traditional companies in this field using the technology so um, therefore i'm i'm very excited for this year um, and and uh, I'm, i'm not worried about the volatility in the market I really appreciate those reassuring words of confidence. Um, and coming from someone who's as intelligent as you, it really helps. Uh, you were basically a made man already. You didn't have to do anything. You could have retired and just went swimming the rest of your life. But you decided you were going to partner up with some other amazing gentlemen and form Cello. What was the point of Cello in the first place? What is the mission that you guys are trying to accomplish there? Yes, happy happy to chat about that. Um, so the the mission of Cello is to build a more inclusive financial system that creates conditions for prosperity for everyone. And to do that, um, we've focused on building a mobile first blockchain um, because we think in future. Um, adoption comes via mobile and to be really inclusive we also have to build for for mobile and why why did we do that um, actually in the beginning um, a very good friend um, René talked to me about the potential of blockchain technology um, and and how it could help the un and underbanked out there um, and and actually change uh, the way they do transactions, change their lives in, in, in a way and actually creating better conditions and building a more inclusive financial system. And, and at that time, I wasn't really aware of that being a problem of a lot of people being un or underbanked. And, and it actually still is. I mean, there's 1.6 billion people out there that are un or underbanked. 1.1 billion people don't even have access to a government ID, so they can't access the traditional system. And here, this technology can make a real difference. But also, in the traditional world, also there, this technology can make a real difference. If I, today, here from Berlin, would like to send a transaction to you, um, to the US, it probably, if I use the traditional Uh, banking rails, it probably cost me 10, 15% in fees. And it probably takes three, four, five, six days until it settles uh, in the US. Um, that also depends if there's a banking holiday in between. So also in countries where we have access to traditional financial system, this technology can actually make a difference. If I send you a transaction on Cello today, it settles within five seconds, fees are less than a basis point. So this is an uh, amazing, uh, amazing innovation uh, al already. And, and yeah, this then also um, being more inclusive and being more open to anyone out there. I think this is, uh, this has great potential. And this is actually why I was so excited um, to join it. And now there are many more ideas um, that this technology can actually enable um, than, than just like being more inclusive. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. Um, and banking the unbanked is a huge problem. And there's many people in the space that are trying to tackle it. There's 3 billion people on the planet 
that don't have the proper credentials to get a bank account. So that's a lot of people that are completely locked out of getting a loan, taking a mortgage, having any kind of safety net whatsoever. Their savings is literally under a rock in a hole somewhere um, in a currency that is being devalued and inflated away. So it's not good. How do we get these people that first step to get onboarded into crypto, to transfer their wealth from a hole in the ground under a rock onto a blockchain? That first step seems to be the hardest. What's, what's going on? What kind of innovations have come in the last few years since Celo started to help these people? I think one critical point is the mobile first nature of, of Celo. Celo in general is a great layer one. It is a proof of stake blockchain. It is EVM compatible. It is also built, uh, smart contracts are also written in Solidity. Um, it has a block time of five seconds. But one thing to answer your question, what, what makes a difference to, to actually um, yeah, be more inclusive and, and allowing these people to, to enter the system is for me is actually, it is mobile first. Um, you said how many people have, have difficulties, difficulties to enter the financial system. And also we said that the financial system, the traditional is extremely expensive. Um, there are more than 6 billion people in the world who have access to a, a mobile or smartphone out there. So I think mobile first is actually the way to go to yeah, uh, get these people into the system so that everyone um, around the planet can actually use um, blockchain to do transactions. And then mobile first is only the first uh, feature. I think the other features of the Celo Black blockchain I already mentioned, for example, the five second block time and also the high scalability of the blockchain are extremely important because the blockchain can actually host a lot of transactions and transactions can settle actually very fast. So it can be used for payments, for saving, for lending, for borrowing, actually for also for the whole DeFi um, space. Then the next thing is transactions on this blockchain have to be very cheap. Not everybody out there has all the money to be able to pay for uh, traditional banking transactions. Also, Ethereum transactions can be at times extremely expensive. And therefore, I think it's good that the gas fees on Celo for transactions are extremely low. And then, of course, to be able to do transactions, especially for, for end users who are not blockchain experts, it has to be easy and it has to be stable. Um, so it's cool that that Celo also has a stability protocol, which is called Mento. Um, the Celo stable coins already exist in different currencies. The first one actually was the Celo dollar, a stable coin tracking the US dollar. The second one was the Celo euro tracking the euro. And there will be more currencies. And I'm happy to talk a bit uh, about a bit more um, in, in a second. But I think also this is very important. Um, for people to do stable, fast, and, and secure transactions. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, and to talk about these stable coins, there's all kinds of uh, stable coins out there pegged to the US dollar, but not many to the euro or really anything else. Other, I mean, some of them exist, but they're hardly in use at all. What are your theories behind that, that so many people around the world are trying to peg to the dollar instead of maybe their own native currency? I mean, the 
one very easy reason for this is that also most of the stable coins out there are actually fiat-backed stable coins. Fiat-backed stable coins are easy to build. The stability mechanism is easy to understand because it's just a token and there's a collateral and this collateral is dollar. Um, so um, it's easy to understand why this token should be more or less stable. The big problem with these fiat-backed stablecoins is that they are less transparent. Someone holds this collateral, so there's a centralized party, and this party has a certain credit risk, it has a certain counterparty risk, and, and therefore this can be uh, very hard to evaluate. It is just less transparent. It is very centralized. Now, I think in future, many regulators around the world will also uh, look a bit stricter at these centralized stablecoins because there is actually a centralized entity and the whole risk of the stablecoin depends on this centralized entity. So I think building stablecoins in a more decentralized way is one way to go in the future, but it is more complicated. The second reason why, why there are more dollar-based stablecoins um, is since there are more fiat-backed stablecoins and the interest rates on the dollar in, in, in the, over the last years have been mostly positive for, for, uh, for many different types of uh, relatively uh, secure um, bonds, um, it is profitable or relatively cheap to build a fiat-backed stablecoin on the dollar. In euro, in the eurozone, we have negative interest rates. So the issuer of the stablecoin would have to pay interest rate on holding collateral in euro-denominated uh, collateral. Therefore, I think we don't see many fiat-backed or probably non-fiat-backed uh, euro-based stablecoins out there. Um, and I think the future of stablecoins will actually go into that direction. People want to do transactions in their local currencies because so far people use stablecoins mostly for trading and for trading in the super volatile market, it's fully okay to use something that is more stable, a dollar-based stablecoin. But in future, if you want to use stablecoins also for daily transactions, for saving, also for for paying in stores um, for, for, for goods and services, um, you probably want something um, that is packed to your local currency. Um, so I think the future goes more into that uh, multi-currency direction. And therefore, it's great that we already have multiple currencies on um, the mental stability pl uh, platform. And the future will also go a bit more into this decentralized direction. I think the, the, the best feature of a more decentralized stablecoin is that the stability protocol is based on smart contracts. So there's not a centralized entity that is holding the collateral and therefore um, keeping the stablecoin safe. Um, here, the stability is based on smart contracts and these smart contracts are open source and therefore everyone can actually audit these smart contracts and see um, if, if these smart contracts are actually doing um, what, what the protocol is promising that they are doing. That makes sense. So what is the difference going to be between these different stable coins, whether it's on Celo or Ethereum or whatever, or multiple chains? and the incoming central bank digital currencies, and then Bitcoin over Lightning Network. Will people really all have 
these choices and options to pay for anything in the near future? Or do you see regulations coming down on stable coins and potentially Bitcoin as well once these central bank digital currencies are launched sometime later this decade? What are the whisperings that you guys are hearing? First of all, I think having different types of currencies or more generally having this technology that enables all these different types of currencies um, creates more of these options, as, as you already said. And it also creates competition between the different types of currencies out there. And this competition is actually good because this competition um, fosters and increases uh, innovation on these currencies, innovation on money, something we haven't seen over the last few hundred years. There was innovation in the ways how we do a transaction or how we pay, but there was not really a lot of innovation in money or on, on, on currencies itself. And this technology actually enables this innovation. On Celo, you already see different types of stable coins, different currencies. You also see um, more and more interest into extremely exciting things like, for example, nature-backed currencies um, or other very interesting, um, interesting ideas. So I think the technology here um, allows for this innovation and, and all these different types of currencies, global currencies, local currencies, nature-backed currencies, use case currencies, can, can actually build. And uh, also in future, central bank digital currencies will have to compete with these uh, different type of currencies that, that emerged on all these platforms. And the more central banks we, we currently talk to, the more, um, more and more of them are actually open to discuss a central bank digital currency on a public ledger. Of course, they want to keep certain um, kind of control over the currency. They want to keep certain um, control over the transactions, um, but they see also the advantages of a public ledger, not having a central point of failure, having existing infrastructure and a growing and growing community working on this infrastructure, having um, the advantages of interoperability. All this, I think, is interesting for central banks as well. And therefore, they are more and more open to, to consider public ledgers also for their currencies. So I think this is one big area that really excites me, that there's now innovation going on on, on money. And, and this is uh, going on with increasing speed. Um, and in terms of regulation, I think, of course, it's it's um, the industry doesn't want to build something to prevent regulation or to build around regulation. The industry actually wants to build cool stuff and, and things people actually need and things that make sense and, and the things that that are fast and, and, and maybe cheap and, and clever to do transactions with. So it's okay when, when the regulators look deeper into this. Um, you know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. 
book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Save big money on your outdoor project now at Menards. We have everything you need to keep your outdoor power equipment running smooth so you can keep that lawn in tip-top shape or enjoy some time on your boat. Right now, all FVP, lawn and garden, and marine batteries are on sale through May 5th. Check out our entire selection of FVP batteries today and view our weekly flyer on Menards.com for more great deals. Save big money at Menards. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. I think um, from a decentralization perspective, I think it's good that more and more regulators out there understand that there is a difference between centralized efforts and decentralized efforts and open source efforts. And, and therefore, I think it's, a good, um, it's good that also regulators around the world um, see that there are these fully decentralized offer efforts that are building open source um, that, that have to be uh, regulated in a different way. Here in Europe, for example, um, there's this Mika proposal, Markets in Crypto Asset Regulation proposal. And in this Markets in Crypto Assets Regulation, um, with regards to stablecoins, the regulator already differentiates between centralized stablecoins, where the major risk of the stablecoin actually depends on the counterparty holding the collateral, um, and decentralized stablecoins. In the, in the first case, the centralized stablecoins, maybe they have to be regulated a bit more like a bank because they are actually a bank and, and a centralized entity that, that holds collateral for something, um, which, is, which is fine because they differentiate that from fully decentralized stablecoins that are based on smart contracts. That's really good that they're making that kind of consideration. Many of you have probably heard uh, about how the market for collectibles, including NFTs, has gone totally crazy over the last year. And the problem, though, is that even if you wanted to invest in some of these assets, the price tags are simply out of reach for most investors. But there's actually solutions to this problem. And I wanted to tell you about one of those right now. So this podcast is sponsored by Otis. Otis is an investment platform that makes it possible for almost anyone to invest in shares of cultural assets. So here's how it works. You download their app and you sign up for free. 
they have over a hundred items available for you to invest in from rare collectibles like sports cards, comics, and video games to NFTs, contemporary art, and even rare sneakers. Shares usually start around 10 bucks, plus they add new assets every week. Then you can earn a potential return if Otis sells the underlying assets for more than the price the item was dropped at or by selling your shares to other Otis members on Otis's real-time trading platform. So some of the drops from Otis are amazing. These uh, things are like sports cards and memorabilia, uh, like a ticket to the Kobe Bryant's final NBA game or a bunch of boxed, never open vintage video games like the original Game Boy Pokemon games. And as a music lover, to be honest, I was excited to see uh, an actual first generation, brand new first generation iPod. So if products like this sound up your alley, well, right now, Otis is offering listeners of this show a free share when they fund their account. And all you have to do is go to with otis.com slash crypto 101 and sign up to get your first share for free that is with otis w-i-t-h-o-t-i-s dot com slash c-r-y-p-t-o 101 for more risks and disclaimers go to with otis.com slash legal slash disclaimer and please check out the show notes uh, for those as well But as we were talking about financial inclusion, which is a big passion of mine, I, I've realized something over the years studying history. Inclusion comes at a cost, not just the cost of building infrastructure, but to be included in a system, they want something in return. If you look you know, at the formation and history of the World Bank and the IMF, the cost of inclusion has been freedom. They'll go in, they'll take these developing nations and give them tons of money, but say, well, we need to be able to control your politics and your economy now and tell you what to plant and where to plant and who to sell it to. And it's really been a cost that a lot of people thinking now do not want to pay when central bank digital currencies come in. They don't want to say, well, I don't want to be restricted to only living where I where this payment will be accepted. I don't want to be restricted to only shopping at stores that accept this thing and being you know pigeonholed into this you know, ecosystem of handshakers where everyone else is then excluded. How do we use this new technology to keep from repeating mistakes uh, of the past? Because when it really comes down to it, economics is not an even playing field. That's the whole point of capitalism is to not be equal. So when we talk about inclusion, it's kind of a, a, a double-edged sword, especially from where it's coming from. The reason for regulations is not all central parties are equal or good actors. Regulators have to assume a centralized party tends to act bad and will act as bad as you allow them to. That's kind of the, the framework that people are building. Like They're going to break every rule in the book as long as we you know, assume that they will or we don't put a stop to it. So that's why these rules are so tight and strict all the time. But in a decentralized way, it's basically saying this group of people agrees to operate this way and we have to respect their autonomy. That's kind of the different philosophies behind these two things. But also when you have a decentralized network, 
there's no way for them to control it or shut it down. They can wave and wag their finger at it, but it's not enforceable. So with that in mind, what are some of the mistakes in our current financial system that you think blockchain and maybe particularly Celo can fix? I think there, there are many good points you, you brought up. I think one point is, of course, um, and this is how, what central banks over the last three years actually did. The first thing when, when they looked more into these cryptocurrencies and, and blockchain, they actually tried to shut it down and said, okay, no, we, we cannot allow this because we are losing control. The second thing that they then did was, okay, maybe this technology is powerful, but maybe we use only a very small part of it and, and build a, a, a closed or controlled or permissioned ledger just for us, where we, as you said, exclude a large part of the population, um, but are able to control um, control this ledger better. But in the end, this also defeats actually the purpose of, of blockchain and what this industry is trying to build. And therefore, I think here, the focus on decentralization, the focus on open source actually allows us to not get back into this traditional cycle where inclusion actually came at a cost. Here, um, the nice thing is if, if, if um, we are creating something that everybody can use and everybody can, can, can build on top of, um, then I think we, we actually get many more people into the system. And, and um, this, this notion of open source is something that, that I think is extremely important. Um, I think also in, in parts, the traditional financial economic uh, system was responsible also in parts for our, for our current ecological crisis. Um, we've seen a lot of growth over the last years um, and economic health was always defined or growth always defined in terms of production growth and consumption growth and this always dismissed the costs of pollution for example um, and now we see that we are actually uh, maybe are coming to a point where our planet can't handle this uh, anymore and i think also here um, blockchain and especially cello can can be a solution uh, i think uh, um, we we want to build a monetary system that is not only more inclusive but that could for example in the longer run also internalize the cost of natural capital destruction therefore a field that i'm currently uh, that that currently excites me a lot is this field of uh, nature-backed currencies and this field of uh, regenerative finance or regenerative um, assets on on the blockchain can you explain that in a little more detail what is a nature-backed currency or yes. regenerative happy Please. happy happy to talk about um, that and actually the the original idea for natural capital backed currencies goes back to charles eisenstein he wrote a book called sacred economics um, charles is also now um yeah active on cello he's he's part of the cello foundation advisors so that is really cool and in, in his book um he he wrote that whatever backs money people tend to do more of so for example when gold backed the dollar people wanted to mint more gold because it's like printing money. And when we can actually use this technology um, to, um, to build something where something where we want to see more of backs money, for example, where 
trees back money or clean air backs money or clean water backs money, then the demand for these currencies leads actually to demand for these uh, things we would like to see more of. So um, if, if there's more demand for nature-backed currencies, then um, since these are collateralized by uh, forest or clean rivers or clean air, there's also more demand for, for this. And, and with this, if we denominate all the economic activity in natural back, capital-backed currencies, any growth in that system, any increase in money in circulation would then also lead to a growth in preserved natural resources. And I think this is a super powerful idea. And it sounds as if this was like far out there, but it's actually not the case. On, on Celo, we have um, this stability protocol, Mento. And Mento has um, this feature, which is smart contract based, where more demand leads to an um, expansion of supply and less demand leads to a contraction of supply. And this stability mechanism is underpinned with a reserve. In this reserve are different kinds of assets. There's, for example, um, the Celo uh, native asset. There's also Bitcoin and ETH and others. But there is also a very small percentage already of tokenized carbon credit. Um, and over the next uh, months, we actually want to increase this percentage that is allocated to regenerative assets, tokenized carbon credit, tokenized trees, tokenized clean air, um, so that more demand for cello stable coins leads also to more demand of, of these assets. And I think this is a really cool mechanism. And it actually also is nice for this mechanism because it, it brings other risk factors when you go back to our financial way of thinking about it. It actually brings other, uh, other risk factors into the system. Now, mm, tokenized carbon credit or tokenized trees are maybe not as heavily correlated with Bitcoin or with other crypto assets and therefore actually add also to the stability of these type of currencies. Um, so I think this is a super powerful idea. And um, on Celo, we have uh, started the um, Carbon Collective, uh, Climate Collective, sorry. And, and um, the, the Climate Collective actually um, supports um, these types of regenerative assets. There are many different interesting projects in this climate collective that, that are working on, on these types of assets. That's really fascinating. Um, can you mention any of the other partners that you're working with just to make sure that the carbon credits aren't double counted or the trees are tagged properly? Like how does all that work in the background? Yeah, and I, I think this is really important because... Um, this was always, for example, a concern of the traditional carbon credit system that there might be double counting um, and so on. But actually blockchain technology can, can add a lot of transparency here because now people actually see where the carbon credit is coming from, how it was transacted in the past, um, all of this. And in the Climate Collective, um, there are many interesting projects like Collectivo, Moss, um, the Region Network, Token, Project REN, um, Curve, and others that, that build these um, types of, of credits. And we, in future, also want to work with the large uh, centralized um, databases, like, for example, Vera, 
to create these types of assets um, in, in a very uh, transparent way. That's tremendous. Well, just a couple more questions before we let you get back to changing the world for the better. Um, for someone who's been in crypto for quite a while, well, we already got some good advice from you earlier on um, how to manage our portfolio and stuff like that. What do you think some clear signs are to look for when reaching a bottom of a market cycle and reaching the top of a market cycle? What are some red flags or things to say, oh, I need to pay attention to this? Yeah, that's a, it's a very good point. And I mean, if I could time the market uh, perfectly, I think, uh, yeah, I, I, uh, I would have enough money to actually uh, buy up all the carbon credits in the market out there. Um, so I, I didn't find that uh, magic timing yet. And I also think it's extremely hard um, to predict this um, because you never know um, how the market reacts, especially in the crypto um, world, when uh, somebody that is actually building cars saying that they now invest in certain cryptocurrencies, or when somebody um, at a central bank says um, that now the interest rates will, will change. How this affects the crypto market is always very hard to predict. If you want to um, buy crypto assets, that always, of course, has a risk. Um, and I think from, from my perspective, you should look for projects that are adding real economic value, that, that are actually building something that, that uh, real end users uh, in the long run can actually use, that are building something sustainable, maybe sustainable for the planet, but also sustainable from an economic perspective that, um, that basically the yields you are earning are, are sustainable in a way that this is not just a, a short push um, to, to get more market share. Um, so I think, yeah, if, if users want to look into that, uh, they should always differentiate between those projects that are actually building value for their users. Um, for, for me, that is uh, very important, I think. And then leading from, from that great answer, like how do we know with blockchains actually creating value for their users? Like we don't have a price to earnings ratio or anything like that here in crypto. Like how do we tell that something's actually creating value versus just traffic and noise? This is extremely difficult and therefore a great question. Uh, That's because... why I'm asking you. You're sorry. Yeah. You're a smart guy. Maybe you can and... give us, you don't have to give us the perfect answer, but just your perspective. <laughs> and this is extremely difficult because also this market is not, not super easy to grasp because there's, it is moving at a rapid speed. So there's basically protocols coming to life every day and there are trends um, that, that are coming to life every day. Um, I think for me, um, where, where, for example, we currently see a lot of value is um, we have to find traditional projects that actually can bring this exciting technology to different kinds of users. With, for example, the DeFi for the People initiative, we would like to see all the DeFi um, space coming to Cello because Cello is fast and scalable and very cheap. So all this DeFi lending and borrowing that is going on can happen on Cello. And therefore, it's great that, for example, already SushiSwap deployed on Cello. And we really hope to see many more other um, DeFi marketplaces deploying on Cello. 
Um, but on this, at the same time, we also would like to see real end users that are maybe not in the DeFi space coming um, to Cello. So we partnered with traditional projects like Deutsche Telekom and T-Mobile, like uh, PayU and First, a payment transmitter, like, uh, for example, Opera, the browser, to, to actually enable um, cello transactions for all these different um, different uh, people. And something very exciting that was announced just a few weeks ago, for example, was that Kickstarter, this large funding platform, is fully decentralizing and is actually doing that on cello. And this is amazing because it shows the strength of cello as a layer one. It is fast, it is scalable, it is good for the environment because it's not only proof of stake, but also because a part of the block rewards going goes into an offset of emissions. And therefore, also there, it is, I think, good for the environment. And then having a, a huge platform like Kickstarter coming to Cello, I think, is, 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 is a really good sign. Um, another good sign is always if you have a growing developer community, because there's not one project or one company building Cello, but there's a huge community building Cello. And currently we see that there are already developers working on Cello in more than 130 countries around the world. So it's also the most international crypto community out there. I think this is also a good sign Then the developer community is growing um, behind a project. And I think also an important metric to look at if a platform is actually used is, are there actual real transactions going on? So for example, since the short period, since the Cello mainnet is live um, last year on Earth Day in April, there were already, uh, I think, close to 100 million transactions on Cello. And, and there you can see, okay, wow, this blockchain is, is, is really used for, for a lot of transactions. There are also a, a steadily increasing number of wallets and addresses that are living on Cello. There are more than, I think, close to two and a half million of, of active addresses on, on Cello. And this is also steadily increasing. I think this is also good um, if, you, if you look at these statistics. Well, I was going to let you off easy, but you actually did give the perfect answer. So perfect. In fact, those are the metrics behind uh, the FCAS score at a website called Flipside Crypto, which does fundamental analysis and analytics for finding things that actually have value in this space based on literally everything you just said. So well done. That was not rehearsed. Um, but Flipside Crypto Analytics is where you can actually go easily see the scores of all these projects that are creating real value based off of users, development, network activity, and growth of all three. So tremendous. Um, thank you so much for your time today. It's been amazing. Where can the people follow you to uh, continue seeing what you're working on? Um, so I think in, in general, um, they they should check out Cello, for example, under cello.org or under Twitter at celloorg. Um, they could also check out the Cello Medium blog um, to, to read about new things that are happening. There are amazing projects on, on Cello, um, and people should also look into these. Um, maybe one project I would like to, to give a shout out to is Impact Market, which is the largest universal basic income project um, already live in the world. Mm. Um, they give 
UBI on Celo in 140 communities around the world, which Whoa. is really amazing. And it shows again what this technology can do. So also a project you, you should uh, take a look. You find it on impactmarket.impactmarket.com. Impactmarket.com. Um, and uh, yeah, we are always happy if, if people reach out in the community via the different channels. There's a very active Discord channel of the Cello community. Um, there are many different um, Telegram channels, um, for example, the Cello platform channel, um, where, where people can, can take a look what is what's going on. Um, yeah, and if people uh, have, have questions, I think we're always happy to be in touch. Wonderful. Thank you so much. All right, guys. That does it for this episode, we, but we will definitely be keeping up with Solo. And we can't wait to have you on again in the near future. Amazing. Thank you so much. This was a lot of fun. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator.